The reading today is from chapter 49 of Isaiah, which is on page 735 of the Pew Bibles. It's Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 6, page 735. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at the scriptures, open our eyes, merciful God. Open our ears, merciful God. Soften our hearts, merciful God. And bend our wills that hearing you and seeing you, we may love you and serve you. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So we're continuing to look at the servant in Isaiah. Have you noticed the training that British waiters and waitresses have? When you want to order food, they're fine. They're there, they're ready for you. They come back a little while later and say, how's the food? And then they they disappear. When you want to pay the bill, they are nowhere to be seen. And if they're somewhere near you, the second you look at them, they turn away and they're gone. Isn't it extraordinary? I'm sure it's part of the training they receive. It's not my experience in the United States. They're always happy to take your money in the United States. Being a servant is a really interesting thing. Because it means you're there for the, to, to pay attention to the needs of the person you're serving. And sometimes our waiters and waitresses are a bit too grumpy for that, aren't they? In Isaiah's time, the part of Isaiah we're reading from, from Isaiah 40 onwards, the people are in exile in Babylon, modern Iraq, 
a thousand miles from home in Palestine. They were taken there after Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian army in 587 BC. And the prophet is speaking to them some 50 or more years later. And the people have settled down. They've made themselves at home. Some of them are married Babylonians and had kids. Some of them have adopted the gods of the Babylonians. And the servant is God's voice to speak to, to them. And we're going to look at this section from three angles. First of all, we're going to look at what Isaiah has to say about the servant and his role and his challenges. Then we're going to look at how Jesus, 500 years later, fulfills this role of the servant and how he lives out what it is to be God's servant. Because Jesus himself and the New Testament writers later speak of Jesus as the true servant of God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at ourselves because as God's church, we are God's servants too and what it means for us to fulfill this role. Now in Isaiah 42 last week, we heard God speak about the servant. Here in Isaiah 49, we're listening to the servant himself speaking, telling us about himself and his task. So in verses 1 to 4, He's telling us about himself and his role. And then in verses 5 to 6, he tells us what God said to him. So let's look at this role. First of all, he's called by God. God has chosen him for this task. Verse 1, before I was born, from my birth, or in verse 5, he formed me in the womb to be his servant. The servant had not been trained when God called him. The servant had not done anything to deserve God's call. It was entirely God's generous act of saying, you're my guy. You're the one I want to do this task. Everything about who the servant is, right from back in his mother's womb, has shaped him for this role. And not only that, God has equipped him for the task. In verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He made me into a polished arrow. The mouth being like a sharpened sword shows you that the servant's role is to speak for God. And God will equip him with words and sentences and paragraphs that will cut to people's hearts. He's like a polished arrow. An arrow that's powerful and sharp and penetrates through armour and protection. Now, both of these are confrontational images, aren't they? A sword and an arrow. The servant's role is to speak God's tough love to his people. Because they're a thousand miles from home in Babylon. And God wants them to go home. But they're comfortable. They've settled down. It's really nice in Babylon. They have perfumes. They have amazing worship. They have amazing things that, get up, that happen. It's a tough job for the servant to say, but God wants you to leave all this and go back home. Because it wasn't home for most of them. Remember, it's 50 years since they left Babylon, since they left Israel to go to Babylon. 50 years that means most of those who left have died, and it's their kids 
who are now in Babylon, the second generation of immigrants. And they're comfortable and at home. The servant's got a tough job. But God says he'll protect his servant. There are two images of that in verse 2. The sharpened sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. God concealed the servant in the shadow of his hand, hid him in a safe place. And the polished arrow, he concealed me in his quiver. The quiver is where archers keep their arrows. They keep them safe there until they're needed. God is saying to the servant, has said to the servant, that he'll give him what he needs for the task in the words he speaks and in providing him with a safe space to do it. It's not an easy job, but God will equip him for it. Then look at the servant's identity. He is called Israel. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But isn't, isn't the nation Israel? Yes, it is. But the nation isn't being what God wants them to be. And so God names the servant Israel, designates him as Israel, because he wants him to show people what it truly means to be God's people. You're going to model what it means to be God's people, he says. And through you, says God, I'm going to display my splendor. I'm going to show people what it looks like to follow me. I'm going to show people what it means to be a faithful follower of Israel's God, what it means to be a faithful speaker for Israel's God. Not only that, but the servant then tells us about his response. And after all the encouragement of verses 1 to 3, verse 4 thumps us down to earth, doesn't it? But I said, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Now, the servant's talking about the past. He says, I said. It's something that I'm describing from looking back on. But he's describing a time when he had the sense that nothing was happening, that he'd failed to do what God wanted him to do. And that happens in our lives, doesn't it? There are times when we, we look around and say, the honeymoon's over. It's not nice. It's not comfortable. It's not a good place to be because I'm not the people, I'm not the person God calls me to be. And I'm tempted to despair. But the servant, looking back, takes encouragement. Look at the second half of verse 4. What's due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. The servant takes encouragement because where God calls and equips, God produces the fruit. God produces the results. This is a key perspective because he's got a tough job. And he needs to look outside himself to God to see it completed. He's required and expected by God to give the job his best shot, just as we are. But he's also required to remember that ultimately it's down to God and not to him. 
Alec Mateer, commenting on this passage, says this, resting faith is the answer to despondency. Resting faith is the answer to despondency. Confidence that when God calls and when God equips, God will produce the fruit. And that's what enables the servant to keep going, to stay his course, to endure what appears to be failure. So the servant's task, hmm, the servant's task Yes, the servant's task, he, call, he looks back to his call from God. His job is to bring Jacob back to God, to gather Israel to, to God. That's the job he's been given. He's calling the people of Israel in exile, a thousand miles from home, to renew their relationship with God and then be ready to travel a thousand miles to a place that for many of them had never, never been home. And that's quite a task. And yet, God adds to the servant's role. Yes, he's called by God to be a, his servant and to address Israel. But God adds to that in verse 6. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The servant's role is not confined just to Israel. The servant, says, says Isaiah, is going to have an, a worldwide impact. Gentiles, you and me if you're not Jewish, people like us are going to be impacted by the servant's ministry. Now that's happening this morning because we're listening to it, aren't we? But it's happened for, for thousands of years because God's purpose was always that he would bless the earth. When he called Abraham in Genesis 12, do you remember what God said to him? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's intention was never to have a favorite nation. His intention was always to bless the world through Abraham and his family. And now that promise is being renewed to the servant. That's why the servant begins in verse 1 speaking to the islands and the distant nations. The promise is being renewed. Through Israel's return to their land, through rebuilding their temple in Jerusalem, the whole world will be offered the chance to meet with Israel's God. And ultimately, that's going to happen through Jesus. He too was called by God. When the angel spoke to Mary, she said to, 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 um, she said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called God's Son. Jesus was called actually before he was born, before he was even in his mother's womb, because he had to choose to leave the glory of the company of his Father and the Spirit in heaven to become one of us. And at his baptism, do you remember the voice he heard saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Do you know where those words come from? Yes, Isaiah 42. 
You are, my, you are the, the one I love. Jesus has the same call to be God's servant. Jesus, too, has the same sort of equipping. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon him to equip him for the task. And Luke, particularly in his gospel, stresses the way Jesus is given power for the task that he's got to do. God equips him for his unique ministry as God's son and servant. And like Isaiah, like the prophet, Jesus' identity is to be all that Israel was meant to be. He's to be the model, the perfect incarnation of Israel. He's to be the one true Israelite who will succeed where the nation failed. Just to give you one example of that, have you ever noticed that just as Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land and failed God, and most of them didn't enter the Promised Land because they, trust, they failed to trust God, have you ever noticed that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness at the start of his ministry being tempted by the devil to do things a different way and refusing it? Because Jesus is Israel. He succeeds where Israel failed. And Jesus faces tough times too. Think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying and saying, Lord, please take this away. I really don't want to go this way. But your will be done. Jesus faces the toughness and the cost of being a, a, the servant of God and suffers on the cross as God's servant. And we'll learn more about that when we come to Isaiah 55 in a couple of weeks. Isaiah 53 in a couple of weeks. And then there's the servant's task. His task is to bring Israel back to God. That's Jesus' role. Jesus' first target is God's people. He speaks to the people of Israel. He teaches them. He heals them. He delivers them in order to bring them back to God. But there's more. Do you remember what the old, old Simeon said about him in the, in the temple? Holding the baby, Jesus, he says that this child is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. And yes, Simeon's echoing Isaiah 49, verse 6. Not just Israel, but also the Gentiles, also the other nations. That's who Jesus is to be. So his role is more than Israel. He's also bringing the nations back to God. And when he dies, he's dying for you and for me. Because he's fulfilling God's promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who's the first person to recognize Jesus after he dies? A Roman centurion. Surely this man was the son of God. There's the very first of the other nations starting to recognize Jesus. And the gospel writers show us it. Our response to this can only be to say thank you. 
to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to do this for me. To worship and to bow at his feet because of that. The service we're going to be taking part in in a few minutes, um, Holy Communion, is sometimes called Eucharist. And that word comes from the Greek word that means thanksgiving. Because one of the major things we're doing in taking the bread and wine is saying thank you so much for what you have done in bringing me back into a relationship with God. And there's more than our response of thanksgiving because we as God's people, we as God's church are called to carry out the role of the servant too. Let's look briefly at that as we draw to a close. Because we too are called by God. He's, he's loved us from when we, before we were born and he's called us to know him through Jesus. We too are equipped by God, by the Holy Spirit. God empowers us and he doesn't tell us be like this be obedient be faithful be prayerful he doesn't just tell us he equips us he gives us his holy spirit and like jesus we're equipped by the holy spirit for the tasks he calls us to do when we face a tough task our first response is to pray isn't it or at least it should be to pray I sometimes forget, and I bet you do too. But that's why we pray, because we can't do it on our own. We need God's strength. And our identity as a community is that we are the renewed Israel. We're in continuity with the Jewish people. We, we are Abraham's descendants by faith. We're part of Abraham's family. And we can rejoice in our identity as God's people because it means we're secure and safe in God's hands. And our response, like the servant of Isaiah, it'll sometimes be hard and it'll sometimes see great success. There'll be times, thank God there are times like this, when new people come to faith in Jesus, when we grow in faith, when we see God do something really special in our lives together. But there'll be other times when it's tough and we face hardship and opposition. Times when we'll feel, I've failed, I've got it wrong. But through success and apparent failure, we can trust in God that he doesn't abandon us. We can remind ourselves, as in verse 4, that what's due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. How do you remind yourself of it? How about writing that verse on a piece of paper and sticking it on your, your makeup mirror or your shaving mirror? In my case, neither of those would help me, as you can see. But I might put it as a screensaver on my computer or something like that. To keep before my eyes the reminder that God will help me do what he calls me to do. And then there's one more echo of Isaiah 49.6 in the New Testament. And that's this. When Jesus is asked by his followers before he leaves them what he, what's going to happen, 
he says to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Quoting from Isaiah 49, 6. The church, like Jesus, is called to bring Israel and the nations to God. We're called to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. We still have a responsibility for the Jewish people. And we still want to help them come to know and love Jesus as their Messiah. But more than that, we're called, like the servant, to bring the nations to God. Jesus died for the world and claims the whole world as his. And we're his voice, we're his image, we're his servant. And we're called to show creation what it means to live as God's people and to call others to be part of God's servant too. Let's be quiet for a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are willing to give yourself as God's servant to follow God's call, to experience God's equipping, to face the difficulties, to walk with your Father all the way to the cross. Thank you. Give us hearts and wills ready to walk that path too as we become your servant people. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen.